Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about... And I have... And uh, that's invincible for people who don't know. I tried, <laughs> I tried to do it like if they do in the... If you're listening to this, the joke doesn't land at yeah. all. <laughs> yes, yeah. So for the people listening at home, I, uh, I pop the title card in, which is what they do in the show. Um, mm. So, um, uh, but before we do that, buddy, we're going to... Why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Buddy? Uh, on this podcast, we like to... I Actually, you dropped out at the last second. So okay. I was like, wait, what? Did he finish his sentence? <laughs> uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. But we also like to talk about comics and movies and TV show. And Invincible, as I get, it's, it's, like the, it's the most memeable thing. I feel hmm. like that's come out of pop culture in a long time. Like, it seems like a bunch of meme templates have come out of this, which I feel like is... is it's great. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, it's an animated show on Amazon Prime, eight episodes, 45 minutes each, uh, which is a little unusual for animated shows. It's written um, by, it's based on a comic written by Robert Kirkman of The Walking Dead fame uh, that he started writing in the mid-2000s, and uh, and I did I do think finished, I think it finished after about 150 issues, um, of which I have read maybe the first 60, 75 of, maybe 90, I don't know. I've read a bunch of them. I used to I used to follow Invisible Weekly, but eventually I just put, put, put it, I took it off my pull list, which is like the list of comics that you tell the guys to pull for you every week, and uh, and never got back into it. Um, yeah, so, I, I I have listened yeah. to or rather I have read none of the comics, um, but we're gonna get into spoilers pretty quick, I imagine. So, um, what's your what's your top line take? You know, my top line take is that I think the comics are better, and I would recommend folks. Uh, read the comics if they want to get like the invincible you know experience um i also think that the show is fine it's like it's it's fine it's it's fine (laughs) it's fine i have a lot of problems with it it you know it's not my favorite thing in the whole world but i'm probably going to tune into a season two um and uh and there is a lot to there is like a lot to love It, it it reminds me a little bit of um you know, it is not fine in the way that, like, Marvel movies are fine, where they're just kind of... They don't do anything special, but they also do, do, don't do anything particularly poorly. I actually think Invincible does a lot of stuff very good, including the animation and the voice cast, right? Like, the the that stuff really nailed it. Like, it hit, it hit the nail on the head. But I have, a, I have a lot of problems with character and plot stuff that comes out over the course of, um, you know, over the course of the season. Uh, that I think overall make for not great storytelling. So I'm very mixed on this one. It's a big mixed bag for me. I, I, I think I gotta agree with that 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 uh that, that kind of evaluation. There there are definitely some things that I think are pretty poorly done in, in the show. Um, but I think the good stuff it does it does well. Um, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, Jameson as as uh, oh, oh no my God, that's, that, that's that that's instantly iconic. He's so wait, good. that's that's not a, that's not his real name, right? That's the Spider Man no, character. No, his real name is um, J. K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, thank you. Sorry, um, as Omni Man, I think was was was, was perfect. Um, um, also, I couldn't stop hearing fucking Jason Manzukis whenever Rex spoke. Um, yeah, that. W- <laughs> yep, absolutely. Also, I mean, all it, it has a very celebrity voice cast, right? So yeah. Stephen Yuen is uh, is Mark Invincible himself. Um, uh, Jillian Jacobs, who is Britta from Community, is Adam Eve. And really, I, did I didn't realize that. One. that. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. That just was incredibly obvious to me the entire time. But Jason Mangatsukis probably has the most... 
distinctive voice, I would I would say. Yeah. Um, Zachary Quinto's robot. Uh, who else? And then Walter Goggins, I think, is Cecil. So. Yeah, and you know. um, and th- there's a minor character that's Ezra Miller, um, uh, but uh. Oh yeah, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I a spoiler. That. Oh my god, fuck you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I said the minor. Ca- yeah. All right. Well, we're, I I I enjoyed it. I'd say it's. I'd say I, it was good. And we'll move into spoilers now. Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. Pure spoiler territory. Yeah, I'm. I. I. I, I think, yeah, that's a pretty minor spoiler. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is. It is definitely a spoiler. And you probably yeah, have to be I watching it like and like actively checking X-ray, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, because I looked at him like Ezra Miller, and for whatever reason, the uh, I always confuse him and Ezra Klein. Not that like he like I was like wait the vibe. <laughs> just because they're both named Ezra. Just because <laughs> I was like wait why is because I, I also don't have a good a good sound in my head for Ezra Klein's voice. So I'm like, why is the Vox guy? Oh, no, no, it's, 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 uh, sure, it's the Flash. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, so I do think that the voice cast and the acting is probably, like, number one mm. in, uh, in the show in terms of just, like, the stuff I would say is very good about Invincible is, is the acting and the action itself. I'm more and more convinced, like, as time goes on, that the proper medium for superhero stories is animated television shows. Like, okay. I think the, the serialized nature is how comic book stories are, like, superhero comic book stories are meant to be told. And I think that the action provided by 2D animation um, is just really conducive uh, to this stuff. So I think that that was, you know, like, that was really something else. I have, um, I have like, bigger reservations again about, obviously, like, plot and character stuff, but that, that's where I wanted to start. It's like, these, these things are good, actually. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with that. I also think that, like, the character development and arc of Mark and even Mark's family, I think, is very good. I think that stands in contrast to, like, I think some of the other characters are very, very underserved. Um, and I imagine that's the thing that gets fleshed out better in the comics. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I, th- I think I think Mark's story and um, Omni-Man's story and uh, his mom's, I, I can't remember her that character's name, um, like all of them inside of that, like like their their story, I think is very well told. I think, uh, and I think like there's a lot of emotional resonance there, right? Like, um, yeah, there definitely there definitely is. I have a lot of issues with that stuff, but I think Mark himself is really true to form, and I think a good, just interesting character who is in a compelling, you know, who has who has kind of compelling drama. Um, and then I also really loved. Omni-Man, there's good stuff in here about Omni-Man that I think is better than the comics, and there's bad stuff I think is worse from the comics that we can, like, get into. Um, And uh, and I really loved uh, sort of the dynamic between Mark and his his mom um, Mm. over over the course of the series. That's actually kind of like a bedrock relationship that I feel like was uh, very important to the you know, like the, the the development of the show and I it would have been much much worse if it wasn't if like it wasn't there it's kind of a it's kind of the like emotional backbone in a way yeah. of like the of the story um, which is a little bit odd but I don't know it's just how it yeah, there's also like so so there was a there was a weird moment so I you know I, I don't know how universal this is but like when when Mark says to his mom like his mom tells him to do something and he says make me right like that's like not just a super like that's like a very real thing that like happens in the real world right like um like 
I don't like I remember the moment I realized I could overpower my mom physically if I wanted to and not not that I ever needed to or anything but like that's like that's like a real power balance dynamic between like you know mother and son that that, that happens at some point um, yeah. that I thought was like super interesting to see like represented at all in in in, uh, in stuff it usually gets kind of glossed over um, mm -hmm. absolutely yeah but uh um so so where, where do you, you want to go next uh, you you want you wanted your talk about the the Omni Man stuff that you thought was better. All right, worse? all right. Here's here's my here's my Omni Man hot take. The Omni Man plot twist is bad and doesn't work, and I don't like it. Um, part I think part of this is because I know the comics, and I and I don't want to do this by doing the comparison of this is how the comics did it, but I but you know that's sort of that's sort of inevitable. So I the thing that I think sucks about Omni Man and makes it hard to do this show in this structure is the end of episode one reveal that he murders the global guardians right that's the huge and it's a, it's a huge moment and it's a big like oh, what the fuck if you've never watched the show before but i actually think that it robs that mystery that is part you know, like that, that goes for several episodes right it robs that mystery of a lot of its bite i actually think that it could have been a sort of like more real, I guess I would say, like murder mystery than that, right? The revelation of which that Omni-Man is, in fact, you know, a Viltrumite conqueror, right, would just hit so much differently if the end of episode Stinger didn't include him brutally, brutally murdering these people. I also think that it, it fundamentally kind of misunderstands sort of the appeal of, like, Invincible, um, and I and I, I think that's a weird thing to say because if I were to bet, this is a more true version of Invincible than the comics are, right? Like, I think if you were to ask Robert Kirkman, like, right now, which is more true to your vision of Invincible, right? He would go, the TV show, right? The TV show gave me all of this room to do whatever. Stuff that, like, we know that there is stuff in the Invincible comic that he just kind of came up with on the fly, but that is properly sort of, like, seeded, right? In the TV show, all that other kind of stuff. But the thing that the the thing that really I have a hard time with in the show is it goes so quickly to a place of really abject violence and brutality that you don't get the the juxtaposition that's really keen, right? Because I think the promise of the invincible pitch is that you're doing this normal Spider-Man team drama shit, you know? It's who am I gonna ask to the fucking prom, right? And then like out of nowhere. It is Mark fighting for his life against world-chattering odds, right? And he is on the brink of death, right? And I think that the juxtaposition between, oh, 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 Amber texted me, but I haven't texted her back. Is she mad at me? And this fucking walking cat lion man is going to kill me, right? That works best when it is little flashes of violence, like, like they they are harsh and brutal and come kind of out of nowhere in sort of the sea of the team drama. Does that make sense? Whereas in the show, it just kind of start like, you know, you do a little bit of team drama in the first episode, even in some of the, the fights in that episode, I felt like it got pretty violent pretty quickly. And then the, the ending of the episode is maybe, you know, the most violent piece is outside of the, the finale, right? Whereas I kind of wish that episode one just really sold me on the Spider-Man pitch, 
and it took time to build into that. You, do, does that make sense? It, that's it, kind of a couple different pieces all wrapped into one, but that's the that's the overarching aspect of it. I I, 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 I get it. I think the problem I think the problem is is in this as like a a, a remake of a comic book, right? Like mm-hmm. I knew going into this that the, the it was that it was like a, a deconstruction type type piece, right? Like. And, you know, that would have been kind of, like, because, like, that's, like, that's how it's sold, right? Like, it's, you know, it's another one of these deconstruction-type pieces. Um, and so you can't, I don't think you can get away with as much the kind of, like, stark contrast. Because the contrast is supposed to be, like, every other superhero movie that's that's come out, right? Like, like this, like, the teen drama is actually Spider-Man Far From Home, right? Like, and then this this is the, this is the, the contrast piece, which... Yeah, and actually, that, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. The, and... And this is what's weird about the comic, because I would not describe the comic as a deconstruction, right? There are these moments of brutality, right, in there, but fundamentally, I don't think the comic has anything deconstructive to say about superheroes. It's just all stakes at that point, right? It is just like, you know, listen, just like Mark will get his ass beat, and it is a dangerous world out there, and there are casualties to his this. But it's not like Watchmen, right? It's not like The Boys, where it is like trying to kind of say, like, oh superheroes are bad actually i think the tv show is doing superheroes are bad actually and that's kind of what i mean when i say that i feel like this is robert kirkman's like more true version of it like the first 12 issues of invincible are so straight played straight team drama that it is like it 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 boggles my mind a little bit that they looked at that stuff and they were like okay but what if we just like put a bunch of really brutal fight scenes right in here you know um like, cause just to lay out the structure for what the comic was like, the first two books, you know, are um, are kind of this, like, teen drama stuff, right? You know, the the uh, the first the first book, the overarching plot is that the teacher that Mark doesn't like at high school is actually a supervillain. And it's like, oh, haha, upbeat, lighthearted, right? My least favorite teacher is also a supervillain. I get to punch him and he goes to, you know, whatever. Um... And then it's book three that does the uh, Omni-Man stuff, where at the start of book three, Omni-Man murders the Global Guardians, and it all just kind of dis... You know, like, and it just kind of rides a roller coaster to him and Mark fighting. That's the end of the third book, you know, 18 issues or so, maybe 15 issues or something like that. Um, And Omni-Man leaving into space. This puts, you know, the, the... It takes that Global Guardian beat. It takes it from after two whole arcs of just kind of like upbeat team comedy and it puts it right up front right and i do think that they they compensate for it a little bit right it's not quite a murder mystery in the sense of um you know of like like a who who done it it's more about the suspense of like will this person figure out right. the secret right will mark's mom figure out that mark's dad is you know killed all these people um, but something that I think really didn't hit for me right in the TV show that is sort of emblematic of this is uh, Mark's dad does the explanation of who the Viltrumite are to, and gives that explanation to Mark, I think, at the top of episode two, right? That comes from, like, the second issue of the comic book, right? And then at the very end, he sort of retells that story, but as space fascists, right? The distance between those matters a lot, I feel like. Because for the first 12 issues of the comic book, you don't have any reason to suspect Omni-Man is anybody but this this world's Superman, right? You have no... That's just the world we live in. He's a 
he is a good upstanding guy he is a he's a good father he you know he cares a lot about his son or whatever else you know and he says some some of this stuff right like he says about like the you know mark has a duty to his people or whatever else but it's like because the secret is kept that stuff isn't sinister all of that goes away because every time that happens it is filled with this like these like super sinister undertones uh and that that stuff i don't know it's just like that really that really killed a lot of the the core drama in his character for me yeah i mean hmm. yeah it's 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 definitely different then right like i i i get that right because like because the thing too is is like he's not played as a like as a great father right he's played he's played as like a an okay father, right? Like, maybe one who's trying, but, like, you know, there's also, like, you know, um, shit, like, uh, his mother having to step on his foot to be like, oh, that's great, son, that you're getting your powers, right? Like, um, he's always played as kind of, like, reluctant and stoic, in, in a way that I think actually falls into a, like, a, a kind of, like, a much more classic coming-of-age story way, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, the, the father, the, the emotionally unavailable father who has to, like, push himself to, like, like connect with his son type and, I, and to be honest with you, I actually liked a lot of that stuff, right? I think that the, you know, the dynamic between Mark and his dad is richer on its, you know, on, taken as its own, right? But it is kind of undercut by this other stuff, right? Because you know, you like, you know from the beginning that he's a bad guy, basically. Like, there's really no other way to inter- interface with that information that, you know, besides just that Mark's dad is a bad guy. Right? Yeah. Um, so all so even though I liked those moments more, and I do think that, and this is another thing that I think that the show missed, uh, Nolan is a very complex and he, he, he has a, he's a really complex psychology. And you get some of it, right? Obviously him leaving the planet in tears, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the show is a, a manifestation of that, right? Um, but I just feel like th- there's no way you could have this guy show up in episode one, murder the Justice League, essentially, of this universe, right? And get me to sort of buy into that complex psychology. Just because it's like, it's so evil on its face, obviously, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and, and I, I think I think they kind of fumbled the ball there because they, they, I think they at least try to, like, give it a little bit of, like, mystery, right? It's like, oh, like, oh, he, like, you know, they, they say, like, he must have been controlled by, you know, or mind-controlled, right? And they, they, they keep playing that, right? Like, and that always rung super hollow to me. I just didn't find it convincing. But, like, it, it yeah. like, the people in the show believed it, right? Like, up until the very end where Mark's, like, who's, who's, who's controlling my father, right? Like, um, which... Yeah, it's also because that fight at the end is also insanely brutal. It is so much... It's brutal in the comics, but it's brutal in a way of frustration, you know, like... Because in the comics, it, leads, it almost feels more like Mark's fault, in a way, where he is freaking out. He's clearly, like, completely breaking down at learning all of this, right? And he is trying to fight his dad like a supervillain. And his dad is just trying to talk to him. And the thing that kind of happens is, like, eventually Nolan is just like, fine, you want to fucking fight? I am going to pulverize you into the ground, right? But the because the fight in Invincible the show stretches across that entire episode, right? And it includes all of these extra bits that are just, like, so much more violent and over-the-top, like Nolan holding, you know, Mark's face in front of the passenger train or whatever. It's just, like, none of that stuff is in the comic. It is much more personal just between the two of them. 
it just like adds this like incredibly like evil yeah, like there's just no yep. other way to put it he's just like insanely evil in the television show in a way that I don't think gets across how you know complex the the like the, the psychology of his character is sort of like underneath all that yeah no okay that that, that, that makes sense right like if, if you don't like if you don't have him wantonly murdering people in the like in the in the comic then that's kind of got to hit much different yeah like he th- th- that stuff happens in um you know, in a, in sort of an abstract sense, or, or, or like he he kind of talks about this, but it's all in the conversation, right? Whereas in the show, he just kills a bunch of people and is like, these are these people are all beneath me, and it's just like a very it's just a very different vibe. It's just a very different vibe, and I really I really kind of chafed, um, I chafed at that stuff. Though I am I do want to compliment, like I said before, like I think the acting was, you know really amazing at getting it across even despite some of these like writing hurdles right you know obviously them being put in this um in this kind of gauntlet where it's just like you know because cecil's throwing more and more shit at uh at omni-man or whatever um and and it's just kind of like a non-stop fight like even though that undercuts it a little bit i do feel for Nolan, when he is trying to reach, you know, like, when he's trying to reach and explain himself to Mark in a way that is, you know, more, uh, more straightforward. It also really comes out of, um, it also really comes kind of out of left field in the comics, where, like, you know, in, because there's a longer time period between Nolan killing the Global Guardians and his conversation with Mark, that gets spread out a little bit longer, and it is harder you know, like in in the comic, it is more Nolan is clearly losing control of a situation that he had that he thought he had control of, right? Whereas um, in the show, he does have more control over the situation because there's just like more time between the inciting moment of killing the guardians and the final moment of fighting Mark. Okay, that makes sense. How much? Anyway, no, I, I I just thought of something though, because like, how, how much do you think like this fight scene? Like, when did the comic come out? Do, 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 you, do you know off the top of your head? 2005, 2006. Okay. Years ago, probably. Okay, because, like, how much of you, this do you think, like, because this, this fight between Mark and Omni-Man is essentially the Zod-Superman fight from Man of Steel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, obviously with, 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 with the criticisms, uh, you know, the, the popular criticisms of Man of Steel is they don't pay attention enough to that civilian stuff, right? It's also a yep. fight where, where Zod theoretically wins. How, how much of this do you think is, like, a direct response to that, right? Like, cause I, I, think... I, I absolutely think it. I think, culturally speaking, the Man of Steel fight and the aftermath to it, specifically, right, where people um, sort of had this interpretation of... Right, how Superman should have acted, or whatever, has dominated a lot of how we do we talk about pop culture. Right, we have, we're not we're not doing the boys, obviously, but another Amazon Prime show that is a deconstruction of superhero, the boys, really goes hard for that kind of stuff, um, and I think is really trying to kind of um, I don't want to say stick it to you know like stick it to that interpretation of Superman, but it's like clearly sort of like built on that. You know, it's like it's sort of like built on that foundation. In two thousand six, two thousand five, whenever this came out, I remember like th- that issue was the issue that made me pick up Invincible because a friend of mine told me about it. Right, where you know the first twelve issues, people were you know were, were people knew Robert Kirkman. Right, it was it was a mildly popular, you know, it was a mildly popular comic. But that issue like landed 
and it was just like, oh my god, this is a this is like a moment, right? Um, of just like something insanely, you know, crazy happening. What a plot twist, or you know, sort of um, sort of whatever else. And it was and it was also very like. It was seen at the time as like very badass, I guess, which I think is also sort of a pre-Man of yeah. Steel world where you know that the the scale of those sorts of fights was more cool than it was dangerous in a way, if that makes sense. Um, not, so not only that, but like I, like I you know like I said before, whereas like it is it has its own kind of like teenage drama reversal, where whereas the show relies on like existing properties, like. This coming out kind of like like that. This would have come out as a comic book, like right at the cusp of like the superhero era, right? Like the yeah. or the the cape shit era, right? To, to yeah, borrow, it was like right on top of Spider Man One, Spider Man Two, right? Like the X Men right. movies were kind of at their apex, right? And know, like all of the shitty ones that we all complained about, like Fantastic Four and Daredevil, were in there. And Marvel is just like kind of starting to spin up, right? Like like um yeah. like Iron Man One's like what two thousand two, two thousand three, something like that. Um, Iron Man One's two thousand eight, my dude. Really. Oh, you yeah. know what? You're absolutely right. Yeah. So this is this is pre that, and like now it's coming out in the context of you know, the Infinity War saga, right? Like three fucking, uh, you know, Marvel shows, right? Like an, an, an entire attempt in an aborted DC universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so it kind of stands, like it, it kind of exists in that in that cultural context, right? Which is why I think you see a lot of uh, a, a lot of this like difference of reaction, right? Like I can see like. You know, not that I was, I, I'm a, I'm a huge comic books reader, but like that makes sense as being like big and shocking back in 2005, whereas yeah. like now it's kind of like it's, it's almost kind of like trite, right? Like it's like trite may, may be a little bit too much, but like the, the uber violent kind of thing, right? Like it, it feels like a version of this story which has been told a couple different times, right? Like. Um, yeah, and, and I think also that story has probably aged... I, I love these stories, obviously. I you know obviously like I grew up with them, and I would really go to bat for these. But I think that if you were to ask popular comic book fans, they would really sort of recoil at some of the way that these stories were told and were framed. Um, like, I also think of Mark Millar. This is when he was, you know, kind of making it big. Um, and he did The Ultimates, which I think is a very good comic book. And it is also so... Mark Millar's Ultimates isn't quite a deconstruction. It's, like, not that smart in a way. Um, but it is definitely showcasing more kind of, like, asshole heroes than, um, uh, you know, goody-two-shoes heroes, right? Or even sort of, like, the the mildly, you know, sort of, um, like, like romance protagonist flawed heroes of, like, the MCU, where they have, like, very basic, dumb, not actual flawed flaws, right? Um... And I think that that stuff uh, is sort of compounded in this modern era, um, just because we have built on we have like built on that level of storytelling for the last fifteen years. Do you know what I mean? Which is why I think they added in the fight scene between Mark and Nolan, Nolan pushing Mark in front of a commuter train and using him as a blunt instrument to kill countless people, right? Or, you know, the, the thing with the, the collapsing buildings, right? Like, the collapsing buildings feels very... That always evokes Man of Steel to me. Right. And, I and you know, my, my thing with that is that it's 9-11. Yeah. I think that's the reason people take that very personally, right? Like, it's using 9-11 imagery um, to sort of evoke the scale of the devastation, right? Um, which... I think keys people into thinking about it outside of the context of a superhero fight, even though it's just there to sort of 
you know, communicate the the uh, the size of the power. What yeah, the, the size of the power and the stakes at play, right? Yeah. Like you know, um, but I I would definitely so I, anyway I I agree with your hypothesis and your thesis. I think this is why I think this is why it has changed a bunch. Yeah. Well, other stuff to talk about. Um, I, I mentioned before that I thought that like. Um, the other characters don't really get a great, um, like, a, a, a great set of things. Like, a, a lot of, uh, you know, for an animated show, I guess it's appropriate, but a, a lot of kind of the motivations seem kind of cartoonish, right? Like, Adam Eve's parents are, like, cartoonishly, like, oppressive, right? Like, um, yep. Amber, like, specifically Amber, like, oh at the very end being, like, you know, I love you again now, it's like, uh, that felt like it needed, like... Like that didn't Amber, like... Amber is frustrating because she is much better in the comics. She's very, you know, like Gwen Stacy, right? Just okay. The the head cheerleader, you know, she's blonde and she's pretty and she's smart and she worries about Mark and there's all this drama of is he going to tell her about the, you know, that he's invincible or not? You know, back and forth or whatever. I actually like the version of Amber, Amber they have in the show and for the first couple of episodes, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty compelling stuff, right? Um, but then they do this incredibly batshit move of having one episode where Mark does the very typical teen drama superhero thing of having to leave his friends in order to suit up and fight the villain, which makes him look like a coward as Mark, right? And then in the next... And, and she gets mad at him about that. She's like, I can't believe you ditched me. You know, this is terrible. Then in the next episode, he confesses that he's invincible... And she goes, I knew the whole time. Well, if you knew the whole time, why did you get... I, I, you like, knew that he didn't run away, right? Like, yeah. That, yeah, like, I just couldn't process that. I thought that yeah. was terrible. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I thought it was like... like I, And honestly, I also thought that um, Amber was going to be a different character, right? Like, I thought, like, it was going to be like the, um, you know, the, the, the teen drama version where it's like, she's like some sort of reporter type who's, like, looking to figure out that he's invincible because oh, she's, sure. yeah. like, she's not actually with him because she likes him. She's with him because she, she she's trying to figure out what he is, right? Um, and then you do, like, the, the runaround kind of, like, no, but I actually like you. you no, know, whatever. But it also, also kind of rings hollow because, like, to me it seems very obvious that, like, he's supposed to be paired up with Adam Eve at some point, yeah. right? Like, um, and so it's, like, and, and I, I guess it's a tough thing to do because, like, that's very trope-based, but it's kind of, like, all right, when are they going to break up so he can go, like, Mac on Adam Eve and, like, that, like, you know, that can fulfill itself. Yeah, Especially, I mean, it's very love triangly, yeah. 100%. Especially because um, they have Adam break up with, or Eve, rather, break up with Rex so early, right? Like, I, like, it was like, oh, so that half's done, and in the next couple episodes we'll have the other half, and then they'll kiss, right? And like, oh, I, I guess not, right? Like, Yeah, I, th I think a lot of this stuff was also very rushed. One of my other problems with the show is, um, is Battle Beast and Titan, so the penultimate episode... Where they go, they fight Machine Head, Robot Head. I can't remember his name. Machine Head, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, Machine Head. Um, that also happens, but that happens like thirty issues deep. That happens way in the future in the comics. So it's like the 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 first big milestone is Mark and his dad fight, right? And the second big milestone is Mark gets absolutely fucking thrashed by Battle Beast in that plotline. But that plotline had way more time. To sort of like build and grow, and I like Titan a lot. I, you know, Mahershala Ali is amazing. He's always good in these shows. This is the role that you know, like he has perfected over the last couple of years of this kind of, um, you know, like 
tough anti-hero guy. He shows up in a million different things playing this character, right? But like with a heart of gold or whatever. But they did that all in one episode and they do it before the episode where Mark then gets thrashed again by his dad. And I was just like, what? You know, like, we need more time to let this stuff play out. Also, the stuff with Robot cloning himself and Monster Girl, that stuff was terrible in the show. And it is that is from the comics, but it's much better in the comics because it's built off of 30... It's built off of 30 issues of, you know, like, build-up, and you can... You realize that Robot is legitimately falling in love with Monster Girl because he empathizes with them. Then you learn that Robot is not actually a robot, but this guy or whatever. They do that all in one episode! And so I feel like... I just... I feel like that stuff did a huge disservice to the show. Um... Just, they, they don't have enough time to like like do any of these arcs properly for any of these characters yeah. right like um you know and like to be fair you get a little bit more time with with robot i also i agree with you i think it's poorly done like i didn't realize what the guy in the tank was supposed to be i thought that was like another clone of some sort right like um because it's it's played opposite of like the the twins um i think the twins are fine because they're like you know two-bit characters, right? And I thought that was fun, right? Oh, like, I love them. The Muller twins? Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're great. Um, uh, like, and I, I think that there's, like, I think there's some, like, really great moments, right? Like, I I, I enjoy, like, the recurring kind of, like, you know, the the, the stepdad and the stepson thing. Um, yeah. Is is Immortal supposed, or Immortal Man or whatever his name is, is he supposed to be Abe Lincoln or he's supposed to be John Wilkes Booth in that flashback scene? Uh, he is Abe Lincoln. Okay. He is That's... literally a, uh, immortal, and he was the president of the United States, Abe Lincoln, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, to be honest, it's been a while. I might be misremembering, yeah. but I'm pretty sure, yeah, he's... That yeah. Is, that no, is it, it makes Lincoln. sense. He looks he looks more like Abe Lincoln than he does look like John's book. But I was like, That's Yeah, immortal... I, I, I also very... Immortal is a much more fleshed-out character in the comics. The thing that starts the Omni-Man Mark fight is immortal coming back, right? So, at the... You know, like, that happens, obviously, in the in the episode eight or whatever but it's like just kind of one of many like plot beats in the comics the the Mahler twins take immortal put his head back on and he immediately flies off and starts fighting nolan out of nowhere which which is not what nolan is prepared for obviously right and then and then so nolan and mark are there mark is like what the fuck is going on with immortal he must be mind controlled and omni-man rips immortal in half and is covered in his blood and then realizes that Mark just saw that and goes like, we have to talk. And that's the thing that, you know, sets up their, right, like their conversation into their fight scene. Um, and then Immortal comes back. I mean, he's fucking Immortal. He comes back after that and is like a major player in, with, there's a bunch of drama with him and Cecil and Robot that's all like, honestly, really good, compelling stuff. I couldn't believe that wasn't really in this season. I'm, I'm sure that's going to be in season two, right? There's They, they set it up, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. Um, but, uh, but it was just, it was very weird to me that they went so quickly into this monster girl, he clones Rex out of nowhere, you know, like, all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know. I, so, like, I, I honestly, like, I, I enjoyed those moments just because, like, the whole, like, I, I, I enjoy that kind of, like, you know, who's the real one kind of, like, plot device, right? Sure. Like, who's, who's the clone? Um, uh. And I, you know, the, the like the the kind of like sacrifice there, like you know, I, I thought was like as touching as it could be given, like you know, thirty minutes at best of development, right? Like over the course of of the season, but uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it's uh, 
it's it's uh, it's it's I definitely I definitely agree with you though. It's it's all super fucking rushed, right? Like, um, uh, I, I honestly wish we had more time with um the demon guy, but uh, I think I think he's gonna be oh, back yeah, too. Oh yeah, Damien Darkblood. Yeah, Damien Darkblood being used as a red herring I think sucks, but the joke is actually pretty straightforward. That like, well, so actually it's a little bit different in the show. In the show, it's not a joke. He is legitimately on Nolan's tail, and Nolan frame, frames him, right? But in in the comic, it is he is trying to figure out who murdered the Global Guardians when everybody knows that it's Omni Man, but nobody wants to say it. So the suspense is he's gonna kind of like figure it out and make it public. But the 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 funny thing is is that he keeps showing up to Cecil and saying, oh, "I've almost figured out who, you know." Who murdered the Global Guardians, and we're like 20 issues past that. Yeah, no, and, uh, I mean, um, Cecil knows who, that it's, that it's, that it's Nolan, right? Like, when, the, when they banish him, it's like, you, you just, like, made it too tough, right? Like, you know, Omni-Man framed, framed you, and so I have to act as if, you know, that's, like, yeah. that I, that I believe it. Um, oh. I do like that stuff from Cecil, because, like, you know, Cecil is also a pretty complex character. Yeah. He's got a lot, you know, he's got a lot going on in that sort of, like, Nick Fury vein, and, um... And it comes out earlier here, which I think is good. You know, one of my favorite things I think about season one is that is the stinger montage at the end, where it sort of showcases where Invincible is like, you know, it can't be that bad to be like the hero. And then it shows all of the different, you know, like all of the different things that are sort of loose ends, right? Um, so Cecil making this big army of zombie so super soldiers and the, the aliens on Mars and... Um, uh, I don't remember what else is in that montage, but I remember really liking that montage. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. There's, there's there's enough stuff to go back to, right? Plus, like you know, what was obviously going to be the the uh, the meta the meta plot or like the overarching plot, which is like, um, uh, I'm guessing he's gonna go talk to the council of whatever, right? From like that Wrath guy, the guy who like the oh yeah, the oh man, uh, Alan the alien, hell yeah, yeah. That the the stuff with Viltrum is definitely not, like, resolved. And this is part of what makes Nolan complex and interesting, um, is that he's obviously, you know, he's not dead. He just left the solar system to do what? Who knows? There's a lot of drama in that that, you know, gets revealed way, way down the line that that I think is very, like, pregnant, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, right. And I, th I think they did a good job of setting up that it's, like, he actually does have feelings for Mark, right? Like, you know, it's... I, I you know, that, that moment, like... You know, it was cheesy, but it rang. It, it, it worked for me, right? Where, yeah, you know, they know the that moment game. read 100%. Even, even all the other problems that I listed out in that final episode with the fight, with their relationship or whatever, that moment hit just as hard, if not harder, um, than, uh, than the way that it did in the comics, just because it's really powerful, right? You know, it, it's just like the perfect line. I, I, that he would, you know, that the only person he would have left is his dad. It's just like, gets me right here. I also feel like I feel like Miles gets really shortchanged in this. Like I, I, I could feel that he had more development in the comics. Um, the best friend, the gay best friend. Oh yeah, he's not gay in the comics. He's oh, just really? a straight guy. He dates Adam Eve. Adam Eve. Um, when when Mark starts dating Amber, Adam Eve sort of rebounds to. His name's not Miles in the comics. It's something else. I think it's Miles. Maybe maybe I screwed it up. Uh, uh he. Uh, yeah, so he is. So he is not gay. Actually, that that is that is a good change that I think they made um, because he didn't really have a good or interesting personality. He just kind of was like um, the guy. Um, 
His name is William Clockwell. I was totally wrong. Oh, William, wrong. okay. Yeah, the, the, the... I'm trying to think of what the best friend in the Spider-Man movies is. Uh, oh, uh, James Franco. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, uh, well, he's, he's, he's Green Goblin's son, so that's... No, um, no, no, not Harry Osborn. Who, in the modern Spider-Man movies, is the big guy. Oh, oh, the, oh, the, uh, the yeah, um, the guy in the chair. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Uh, no, I want to know. I, I want to say Nelson, but that's absolutely wrong, isn't it? Uh, Ned. Ned. Yeah. So he, he in the comics, he's very much that Ned archetype, right? Um, of just like doofy best friend. Um, but I like him better in this, especially because that stuff with Roy is played straight, basically out of the comics. But in the comics, he's not gay, so there isn't a romantic subtext to it. It's just here's this cool older college kid that I happen to, you know think is think is neat yeah no i mean yeah it, like so i i guess i was wrong that he gets more development in the, in the comics but it, it feels like like it, it felt like he got shortchanged because he's like he's around a little bit and he like talks to mark in the beginning and then he's around for that at like you know the college episode feels feels almost like it was like you know like a like an episode out of I guess it's not really a bot like you can't call it a bottle episode because it, it doesn't work like that. But it feels like an episode like that they could slot in wherever needed, right? Um, and like it kind of exists out like you could put that episode anywhere in the timeline, right? Like um, it's not exactly a filler episode, but I think it's got a lot of those kind of like hallmarks to it, right? Like sure. you see you see this in anime too. Actually, I, I think this is an interesting way to to go with this too because like you mentioned like animation is the right way to do this stuff. And it's like I think that's the thing that like you know. Shonen anime figured out a long time ago, right? Like, that you do these superhero stories in, in anime. And this is, like, this this animation style isn't exactly anime, but it reminded me astoundingly of, like, Neo Yokio, um, which is, like, you know, a, a Western anime. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm interested to, like, I, I just think it's interesting that, like, things seem to be going that way, because some, something I see, like, pounded on Twitter is that manga is outselling, is outselling comic books in the U.S., right? Like, the, the, big, the big thing that everybody points to is, Barnes Noble has increasingly large manga sections, and the and the you know the graphic novel section keeps shrinking down because no one cares about that stuff anymore. And I wonder if this kind of like if if this is like a a forebearer of, of things to come, right? Like you know, yeah, like we're gonna get some breakthrough anime movie, and it's gonna be all anime movies all the time. Yeah, maybe well, maybe not anime. Like I don't think it has to be a movie, right? Like you know, invi- like something sure. yeah. like like a, a TV series. I think makes sense, right? Like. You know, like an, an American animated adapt, like something that fuses like the popularity of, say, Batman Beyond, right, and kind of like the 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 popularity of, say, Boku no Hero Academia, right, mm-hmm. like, um, and like kind of like inhabits that space in the in kind of the American space, probably with the anime visual, so you get enough callback, right? I guess like Avatar kind of fits that 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 kind of definition in a while, right, like. Yeah, I, th- I feel like I feel like that's kind of describing Avatar a little bit. I also feel like in general, superhero shows have been trending in this direction. Like, if I think yeah. of Young Justice, I think it has more anime esque quote unquote action, uh, for instance, than Justice League did, um, which also probably has more anime esque action than Batman the Animated Series did, for instance. Um, so I think I do kind of agree that there's this confluence towards anime. Well, I, actually, at the same time, I sort of think it goes sort of both ways, in a way. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, Boku no Hero Academia is clearly inspired by American Yeah, exactly, right? right? Like, I think that, I think that the, the progression <laughs> from Dragon Ball Z... Oh my god, Orion, please stop. Uh, 
stop. Yeah. <laughs> fucking <laughs> All Might yelling movie. Texas Smash, right? Like, you, you can't make it more obvious than that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, th- this is exactly what I find so interesting about Boku no Hero Academia and why I wanted to compare. I mean, Invincible is a pretty good comparison show, I think, um, because it also lives in the same sort of world of stakes. Uh, but that, that's part of why I, I, every when I was watching Boku no Hero Academia, I was just like, oh my god, this reminds me so much of Young Justice. Like, yeah. They're so similar. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I haven't watched Young Justice, but like, you know, I can even see it even, like, you know, in Teen Titans Go, right? Like, that, that format is similar to, like, there are comedy animes that play in kind of like that hyper short, like hyper, you know, like almost four coma-esque format. So, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. As long as we all agree that Teen Titans Go is good. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed Teen Titans Go to the movies. Um, I also did, and I cannot wait to watch it again. Uh, because I haven't watched it in a while, and I, and I want to now. I, I, think, I think I saw somebody on Twitter like making things like, in retrospect, people are going to like Teen Titans Go a lot more than they do now. Um, oh, that is, my, that is exactly my take. Yeah. I think it's the SpongeBob of this generation, right? And that 10 years from now, the, the Zoomers are going to be memeing about Teen Titans Go jokes the way that we meme about Spongebob jokes. You know what was really funny? I saw a different Twitter thread that was like, I looked up some forum posts from like the beginning of Spongebob, and it's like people all shitting on Spongebob and being like, man, are you guys, I'm, I'm excited for Chalk Zone, right? Which is like... <laughs> uh, Chalk Zone sucked. Anyway. <laughs> oh, oof, hot takes, hot takes. Hot takes, yeah, hot takes. Chalk Zone was garbage. Danny Phantom, though? That was good shit. Oof, oh man. <laughs> There's like there's like a whole sub thing there about um what's his name the the guy who, who who made Danny Phantom and Fairly Odd Parents. Uh, yeah yeah he uh, Butch Hart. Butch Hartman. Hartman yeah Butch Hartman yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah he he has a YouTube channel and he's extremely religious. Yeah no I don't I don't know which if you, is so weird. I don't know if you caught it but like a couple of years ago he tried to kickstart, like like you know like like crowdfund a, like not explicitly Christian but like you know like, good moral clean streaming service right like where you don't need all the sex and the violence um and it wow, failed i did not know that but you know fair enough yeah, i guess yeah. it makes sense that you know he's in children's television yeah no i mean you know it takes all types right like uh but yeah no i mean that failed miserably so because <laughs> you know, uh, people people weren't interested in it um uh but uh yeah, I mean, we, there, there's. I think. Do we have more to talk about with uh, with, with Invincible? There, there's. there's uh, what uh, else? What else do you want to talk about with with Invincible? I so I think part of something that makes me a little frustrated with Invincible is that it comes out in this kind of ecosystem. Like you haven't watched The Boys, but having yeah. watched Watchmen, The Boys, you know, and now this, I sort of feel like the deconstruction stuff. I, I, you know, I said on the other, I said the other day on the podcast when I was watching The Boys that The Boys is pretty like, like head empty. It doesn't, it doesn't really have anything smart to say. It just kind of is like there for shock value, which is sort of valuable in its own right in a way. Um, but I just find myself more and more sort of, uh, kind of like frustrated by these like deconstructionist takes because. I guess I kind of feel like they're lazy in a way. Uh, have, have you seen the um, the Netflix one? It's like Mr. Jupiter, or whatever that. It got oh, Jupiter's Jupiter's Legacy. That you know, I mentioned Mark Millar earlier. He that's one of his books because uh, Netflix famously bought his whole comic line. He had a whole thing called like the Millarverse or whatever. Um, that were just like a bunch of you know his own creator-owned stuff. 
and Netflix bought him out. And that was like the first thing that they did with it. Uh, I have not watched Jupiter's Legacy, though I have heard that it is in this exact same vein and yeah. unfun and uninteresting because of it. You know, I, so so that's like I was thinking about this too because I hadn't watched any of the like I've watched Watchmen, right? But like, mm-hmm. um, like I could see it being tired if it was like the third one that you'd watched. But like I also think it, it kind of stands on its own in a lot of ways as a coming of age story, right? Like I think there's there's like a, like you know a lot of real stuff there, right? Like you know, um, uh, you know, kind of like the 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 kind of Freudian esque, right? You know, like fight with your father, right? Like type of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, like the Oedipal, or not Oedipal. That's not what I meant. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's one it is one half of the of, of the Oedipal complex, right? It's yeah, not, it's not the mom it. fucking you, part. When but people it's say the, Oedipal, they mean they mean, they the, mean the mom fucking part, part, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, um, uh, but but yeah, but yeah it, it definitely it definitely has like it definitely has that stuff, and I also think that it, it will probably expand more. One of the things that I like a lot about Robert Kirkman is that he has very few sort of like un kind of like complicated sort of characters or villains. You even get this with Rex to a certain extent. Like Rex is kind of a dick and that's that's like his personality, but he's like he's you know, he's not just like a um he's not just like an unending asshole for no reason, if that makes sense. Um and I feel like that's that's something in to Invincible's credit, right? Which is that, you know, given enough time, it will kind of humanize all of its characters uh, and uh, and make them more dynamic and more complex and less kind of archetypal, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, that, that does make sense. Um, yeah, I don't no, even know if I really think that Rex sells it in the TV show. He does in the comics, but... Not he, he yet. Does, he does in the TV show. Not, I don't, I don't think he does yet, and he's, like, building okay. towards it, right? Like, you know, like... I, I don't know that I could even really... I don't know that I could really tell, because, I, like, the comics are so in my head when it comes yeah. to that stuff. No, I, so, like, he gets, like... He, he's just kind of, like, an asshole, but he seems genuinely repentant. A couple, like, you know, like, for cheating on, on Adam Eve. Um, and, like, the other part of this, too, it, like, you get, like, a, a moment of it when, like, you know, when Rex shows up as, like, the young version of him, and he's like, what the fuck? Right, and, and you know yeah. the, the line is like, "My childhood was not great," right? Like, which you know kind of starts to seed it, and then like he he gets like the moment where he's like scrubbing down the, the the wall, right? Like, and I like I don't think it's there yet, but I think you'll you'll get there in the in the future. Um, yeah, I like that moment a lot. I do also like a lot of those the, those characters, like Black Samson, for instance. He he's done a little dirty, I think. In the yeah, show, well, what are his powers? Because like you know, like I got my powers back, and they don't say what they are, right? Like this kind yeah, of yeah. Like, his powers, I, I don't actually remember offhand. I think it's like electric shit, or maybe it's like strength or something like that. But his thing is that he's a member of the Global Guardians, who before Nolan kills them all, loses his powers, and is like really depressed about that, right? So he puts together a suit of uh like like power armor uh sort of like iron man armor to like um mimic his, they, they his get it back right abilities. like yeah 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 but his the 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 role that he plays in the show is the exact same role as he plays in the comics which i like a lot as the kind of like you gotta be grown-ups now you know hmm. the the teen team you know it's okay for you guys to be kind of goofing around when that's the world you're living in, but you're the global guardians now, and you need to take this shit really seriously. Um, and I like that a lot. I think that that's like a cool piece of you know like of his character or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is a little bit undercut when it's like, and you're a robot, so fuck you, right? Like, because um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I should be the leader because I'm the oldest, and the robot is does not understand people. 
Um, yeah, it's a little bit better in the comics because Robot really sucks as the leader of the Global Guardians at first. Uh, yeah. You don't really get that in this. You get a little bit of it, I guess, because they kind of fuck up this whole... But like even then, like it's it's not it's not quite as clear how bad a job he's doing um, compared to you know compared to what you get in the other in the other version of the story. Like you know, I think it's played the stuff with Battle Beast and Machine Head is sort of played as Robot making a an error and and it narratively serves the purpose of taking the Global Guardian sort of out of the fight for when Nolan is uh, you know about he, like he's about to fight Mark. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's uh, it, it felt it felt like there was a lot squeezed into this season, right? Like that probably could have been uh dealt with that o- over a longer. It, it felt like they wanted to get like all the major players in, right? Like the whole the whole um uh Battle Beast uh and I forget the character's name. The 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 the, the dude you were talking about. The, the, the dude that machine that, head titan, titan, the titan, rock guy. titan. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like that whole like it felt like they wanted to get those characters into the first season to tease them for the second season, um, where they like they probably like they probably could have developed it. Like I'm I'm sure I'm sure part of it was like oh we you know we're gonna have Bashar Ali or I'm probably mispronouncing that um, B titan so we need to get him into the first season and we need to do enough with him to justify him being there even though like that probably should like like you know like it happened in the comic probably should have been a thing in the second season or something like that um yeah i also think that the the show you know like something and you could call this a criticism right something that like hbo shows have um like game of thrones or something right is they're kind of a bunch of mini episodes inside of every individual episode if that makes sense like you kind of go from you know because it's an ensemble go from King's Landing and you're and you're watching these things and kind of like jumping around whereas this show was more truly episodic where it sets up some drama inside of the episode that then terminates by the end of the episode sort of thing yeah um, and uh, and I think that leaves you less room to do sort of like the overarching yeah. you know stuff I, I wonder how much of this is like you know the showrunners being afraid they're gonna get cancelled before they get to do all the stuff they want to do right like um, cause like, like, you know, there's no need for necessarily all this to be in like a, a long running thing, but like nothing lasts that long anymore. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I am excited for a second season. Part of me wants to not read the comics just so like I'm not spoiled on it. Um, or maybe I will after it all comes out. Um, but, Part uh, of me wants to go back to the comics. I'm probably remembering them better than they were. Yeah. I think, I think is one thing. Cause you know, obviously I these came out five, ten, fifteen years ago, right? Um, so that's just like, that's just like a lot of time for for me to be forgetting some of the minor stuff that probably doesn't work as well. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do we have anything else we want to talk about with uh, regards to this? Nope. I think that's it. That's that's our comprehensive invincible take, I guess. All right. Uh. What else? Um, uh, or rather, how's your week been? That's that's the thing we do after we do Invincible, or if we do the main section. How has my week been? I have been, I don't know, I've been playing some WoW, but obviously pretty off WoW until tomorrow, where 9.1 hits, which is exciting. Um, 
because, you know, the grind. Um, let me think. I don't know. I've been I've been playing. Oh, have I have I talked about No Man's Sky actually? Uh, I don't think much. You mentioned you got I it. I have been playing No Man's Sky. That's like been my big game recently, which I think is not interesting or compelling. I don't have a lot to say about it, but it is just finally that I got. You know, I just we're doing it when we're playing. We're playing No Man's Sky, I guess, and um, and zipping through the universe and like farming, you know, like materials and stuff like that. I think I think the thing about No Man's Sky that I quite enjoy is the raw scale of everything. I really have no idea how to do it, but it really sells, even though it's all procedurally generated. And you can kind of tell that it's all procedurally generated. And I probably prefer that less to a sort of cultivated space, right? You know, like uh, like uh, like Mass Effect or something like that, right? Where everything is kind of handcrafted. Um, there is something really cool to the just I warp to a new galaxy, and there, you know, I I this is what's there, you know, and I don't have any other options. It's just the world that it's just the world the world that I live in. I think that's just like insanely cool and a lot of fun, and um, so yeah, I guess that's my that's my big. No Man's Sky take you. You said you refunded No Man's Sky, right? I did. I bought it. I bought it on release, um, and I uh, uh, what's and I, I refunded it within like the the refund window. Um, but I've considered going back to it ever since it got good, right? Like I mentioned last time, the good or last time you brought it up, the ingoodening of No Man's Sky, which is like you know, yep. they went silent and made it good. Um, so yeah, no, I, I haven't, but I haven't played it since. Yeah, I mean, you know, good on them for, for making it good. It is just, it, it has become, like, a, the easy game for me to do, you know, because you're just, like, mindlessly lasering rocks or whatever to get cares. Um, so I'll be watching something on my other screen. Uh, do you know do you know the YouTuber Quentin Reviews? Uh, I'm vaguely familiar. He's just, like, he's just, like, another of these, you know, um, uh, like, kind of media criticism YouTubers. The thing that I find interesting about Quentin is that he's kind of young and also pretty stupid, <laughs> which I which is worse than it sounds. But he, for a long time, um, his four hundred thousand subscriber like thing was he'll make a video on iCarly <laughs> if, uh, if he gets to four hundred thousand subscribers, and he did make the iCarly video, the first half actually of the first three seasons of iCarly, which is not a show that I even know. You know, like that was by the by the time iCarly was coming out, I was I was past it, right? Um, but he made you know a four and a half hour YouTube video just about binging iCarly, and it was great. I had a great time watching. You know, I it, it reminded me of the Tokimeki Memorial video. Ah, uh, um, yes. Of just like really sinking. It was like a Saturday, just farming ferrite dust in no man's sky and listening to somebody describe like the basic plot of these weird iCarly episodes where she builds a nuclear reactor in her you know apartment or whatever mm. now speaking of which I'm, I'm like Tim Rogers has been sick for a while which is part of why the Cyberpunk 2077 video is taking so long um Damn. yeah no it's it's sad it's sad I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping he'll be able to, to put it out soon we'll see you know me too um because I need, like, I actually went and watched the Final Fantasy VII video because I hadn't watched it. I was like, I should watch this because, you know, any day now, Cyberpunk's 2077, right? Right, uh, right, Tim, right? Please, please don't die, Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, so for, yeah. go on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I went hard for, when I watched the Tokyo Mecha Memorial, I then went back in time and watched all of them. 
Yeah, well, good stuff. Um, so I, I got two big things that I've been doing over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the first okay. one is you've probably already heard this because I've I've been I've been spreading this everywhere. But I've got I'm starting a conspiracy. Um, I've got at least one person that agrees with me that Ed I get, this conspiracy I guess is that Ed Sheeran's a giant nerd. This um his newest music video Bad Habits. He's like he's 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 definitely cosplaying a Malkavian. This is definitely a Vampire of the Masquerade inspired thing, and you can't convince me otherwise. I'm, I'm gonna put a picture from it on screen real quick. It is like it is just like. So I saw a bunch of people making uh, t takes about, um, you know, oh, he's doing a Joker thing. I'm like, oh, this this will be funny. I'll look at it. And it's like, he's got the vampire. He's like, no, no, this is definitely a Malkavian. This is definitely a Vampire of the Masquerade thing. Um, and I don't watch, or, you know, I don't really listen to Ed Sheeran, but he's been in Game of Thrones. This is, like, you know, he's got this. I'm, I am, my, my take is that he's definitely a big nerd. Do you have any thoughts on this? Or I think I would not be surprised. Um, he reads exactly like Joe Manganiello and Vin Diesel, um, who are also famously gigantic nerd celebrities. Um, I would not be surprised at all if, if Ed Sheeran was like closetly like a, you know, like Henry Cavill, like a World of Warcraft. Player. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that would that would be a great D and D cast, right? Like Vin Diesel and Henry Cavill and Ed Sheeran, and just like trying to make that work. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the other, the other big thing um, is, 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 buddy, are you aware that Discord presides in our society? Which is, this is like a thing you don't get, because this is, this is, um, this is Potemkin's theme song, uh, Armor Clad Faith. Um, you should- I have actually watched quite a lot of Guilty Gear Strive over the last couple of days, just because, um, I joined a Discord, you know, like, a, just a streamer that I followed, I, I finally joined the Discord. And they've all been playing Guilty Gear while they're waiting on 9.1 to come out, and um, and so I've actually been watching just a lot of Potemkin, you know, because because the guy plays a lot of Potemkin. This is like favorite. And apparently, Potemkin is very good. He is, he is he is he is he was very very good in the beta one, but he is he is still a strong character. Um, grapplers are usually not super good because like they just the way that they they, they kind of like work outside the typical dynamics, and so like it's mm -hmm. hard to make them good and not make them overpowered. Um, they're also like, they tend to like occupy sometimes that like Yi, like like uh, Master Yi kind of like narrow where it's like we can't make them very good because then they're just like un like they they are un unbeatable by noobs right because like they 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 kind of like they the so the part of kind of like the the core fighting games triangle right is attack defense and throw right like you, you can throw people out like blocks can override throws and um a, you know. A, and blocks basically beat attacks, right? Because then it gives you opportunity to counterattack, right? Um, and grapplers push very hard on the throw part of the of, of that triangle, and that's usually like gets under noob skin, right? This is like the, like the original scrub quote is probably like you know somebody complaining about throws being cheap, right? Like yeah. um, so that it, it, it's it's kind of hard sometimes to to deal with grapplers as, as a new player. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. I definitely get that. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I've been enjoying a lot. I think if besides watching streams, you should listen to the soundtrack, right? Like, Guilty Gear Strive is also probably the most metal video game that isn't directly <laughs> about metal, right? Like, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, the, the soundtrack for fighting games that I have in my head is Soul Calibur Two. Like, any you, this will sometimes be a Twitter meme where people will um, will put Soul Calibur Two themes underneath stuff. Like, Dunkey does this, for instance, in a couple of his videos and stuff. Um, I those songs are burned into my brain, um, so I've always really liked 
there's just something about you know doing a doing a match and it's like three minutes and you have a you have this fight song going along with it you know yeah no i mean you know that's that's why i opened the way i did like i just like because it's potential team i just have society it's society just burned into my head because it's like the most legible part of the song while you're, while you're while you're trying to play um but yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful game. They they really nailed the netcode. The lobbies have some problems, but like the the actual playing of the game is like you like nine times out of ten butter smooth. I've had some bad matches, but nothing like nothing terrible. Like Smash is pretty um, pretty kind of like like the problem with this is like a basically East versus West thing, right? The Japanese devs are kind of like uh, infamously like um, insular and don't like kind of like taking things like like so back up one more step. The, um, like some guys in America made rollback netcode and basically licensed it out for free to everybody. Like, just take this, make fighting games good, you know. Just don't don't have us live in this delay based thing. And the Japanese have always been very hesitant to adopt it, um, for whatever reason. Part of it, I mean, sure. a big part of it, is that if you're a Japanese dev making a game for a Japanese audience, one Japanese internet is very good, and two, the country's not super big, right? Like, you don't have the delay problems because you know, going from like. You know, Tokyo to... I'm not great with Japanese geography. But, like, you know, going from the top of the island to the bottom of the island isn't going to be that far. And so, even if you have delay-based netcode, which is the alternative, it's not a, it's not usually a problem because you have decent latency. Um, yeah. But uh, um, Street Fighter tried to do rollback and ha didn't do it particularly well. Um, there's there's some bugs that, like... There, there's a whole thing there that I don't have all the details on. But um, Guilty Gear Strive is the first big-name title to really nail it. And um, it's doing super well, and or it, it it works super well, and it's the game's doing super well, right? Like Samurai Showdown was a game that I really loved, but like the netcode was so bad that it was is unsustainable long term. So um, uh, hopefully this will influence people to like make good netcode um, um, and whatever. You um, know that's important, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know that's funny. The thing about the, the the devs or whatever, like I've been thinking a lot about this recently because. Um, you know, uh, the, for a while, I was, like, really getting into WoW Twitter drama where people just, like, hate the devs constantly and are, like, shitting on the devs. And I, and I thought for a minute, I was like, whoa, this is, like, this is, like, crazy. But then I sort of had this, like, weird out-of-body moment when I was reading the EDH, um, the commander for Magic the Gathering subreddit, about how Mark Rosewater said that if your goal is to have fun playing Magic that maybe you shouldn't optimize your decks and instead include fun cards instead of obvious staples for the format. And everyone in the comments was shitting all over him. Like, they were just like, oh, like, Wizards doesn't know. Wizards needs to print, you know, whatever, right? Like, Mark Rosewater said he fucking hates EDH. I'm not taking his advice about anything. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> the same thing. This is just like the WoW devs. Holy shit, you know, like... Yeah, I'm... Part of this is like the the complaining aspect, right? Like you yeah. you don't comment generally if you're like you know, you know if you're happy, right? Like, um, yeah. Kind of speaking of which, I actually I haven't gotten it yet, but I ordered an EDH deck off of uh, Amazon. Uh, oh, are we gonna play? We're gonna play in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. I, I I want so so this. Well, what what deck did you get? Like a precon or? Uh, so I got a pre. So, um. So, so this is a story, right? I don't know if I've shouted okay. him out on the channel before, or on the podcast before, but this guy, Remy, he does these um, uh, these Magic the Gathering parody music videos. Um, uh, and uh, he's got one about Ramp called, like, 10,000 Mana. 
uh, which is a which is a parody of um, a parody of some like ten thousand miles or something like that. It was like okay, the, you know, I'd spend ten thousand mana, right? So it's about it's about ramp, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, I would like to make an EDH deck based around you know this. So I went to search for um, for like blue green legends, right? Because like that's that's where you go if you're gonna do ramp, right? Like and you don't want to be just mono green. Um, and so the top result was like, um, oh, I should, I should, I should, I, I should look this up. But it's, it's, it's a card, it's commander, or it's, it's a card that um, lets you play a second land, and when you drop the land, it, uh, it, uh, it draws a card for you. Um, like you, you play a land and you draw a card. It's like a four-four blue-green thing. Um, and I looked at it. It's like, oh, this is. Like, I looked it up. It's like, oh, it's like ten bucks a card. I could do that, right? If I wanted to. And I'm like, like, wait, he's from a commander set. Can I just buy his deck? And like sub things in, so uh, yeah. Um, I'll uh, I can actually I can tell you if now you do. I, now I'm really interested. Oh, I know this. Uh, so AC Tyrant of the Gyre or whatever. I think so. so yeah, yeah. That yeah, he is, he is a very co- he's a very uh, not Cobbett, but he is a very uh, popular commander. So in the Commander universe, Green Blue is the most popular color combo of because like it is commonly believed that Blue. Is the most powerful, like the most powerful color, and green is probably the second most powerful color. So green blue decks are like super powerful, basically. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I I didn't um, mean to you know pick the ringer set, but I, I don't think that his precon is a ringer, um, and it definitely wouldn't be a ringer bringer against some of our decks. Like my deck is obviously like upgraded a, a whole bunch, so right, is no. naturally kind of like more powerful. Um, but. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so there's a, there's just like I don't know there's there's like a lot of good stuff to be to be had when it comes to when it comes to commander stuff. I recently just bought a new commander uh, deck myself for Feather the Redeemed. The two worst colors in commander are typically red, Is that red white. white. Yeah, yeah. I used mm-hmm. to run a Feather the Redeemed deck. I think in when I was playing MTG Arena. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So Feather has a really interesting. You know, so Feather's mechanic, just for everybody at home, is when you target a creature you control with an instant or sorcery, that instant then gets exiled and pops back into your hand at the end of the turn. It feathers out, right? So what you do with Feather in Commander is use that as a card advantage engine. And you have a bunch of cantrips, like cheap, you know, one or two cost instants and sorceries that do stuff like gets plus two plus oh, draw a card. Gets plus one plus oh, draw a card or whatever. So you cast all these spells, you draw a bunch of cards, then those cards go back into your hand and you can like redo this over and over again. Which I've just always thought is neat. I think that that's like a cool way to build, you know, uh, a cool way to build the commander. It's very combat focused. Um, a lot of co- good commander decks are not very combat focused. They're like, you know, you create a value engine, recursive loop of something, right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a million creature tokens and I'm gonna put a creature in play that says, when a creature token die or when a creature dies, deal one damage to all your enemies. Then I sack all of my creatures instantly and deal twenty five damage to everybody. You know, like that that kind of stuff is typically what like wins commander games. Um, and so I just like the idea of like getting a commander who's just about doing combat tricks and uh, and finding a kind of backwards value engine in colors that are like very uncommon. Um, so. So yeah, so I picked up a, a feather the redeemed deck, and I also I also picked up a couple of upgrades for some of the uh, some of the other decks. I typically like I think my favorite way to do commander is to buy a precon and then upgrade it. 
you know, like look look at the precon. What are the themes in that precon, and then go, oh, I, I know what to do with this, and then shuffle in out a bunch of a bunch of cards to make it better. Yeah, no, I'm 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 looking at the because I I bought it just because it was seemed to make make more sense to me just buy the deck than try and buy an individual card. Um, yeah. And now I'm looking at it, it's like, um, so one of the lines from the song that 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 inspired this is, I would cast Hydroid Crassus for ten thousand and four. Um, and uh, Hydra Cross is apparently a $15 card, which I have a bunch of copies of on, on MTG Arena, but, you know, I'm probably going to have to eat that if I want to put it in the deck. But I do, right? Like, it's, like, the obvious card. Are you familiar with Hydra Crosses? Yeah, it's the, uh, well, I'm actually not familiar offhand. It's the it's the X Hydra, right? Yeah, yeah. Or am I thinking of the wrong Well, character? I think all Hydras are X, right? Like, that's, like, isn't that, like, a Hydra feature? Is they have, oh, like, maybe it is just a Hydra feature. Yeah, so, so Hydroid Crosses is um, uh, X green, blue. Um, when you cast a spell, gain half X life and draw half X cards. Round out, oh, round out each time. Flying Trample, Hydrid Crassus enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. That's like the rampy creature, right? Like, um, yeah, so. You know, that's I, very cool. I, I, ran, I ran, oh, so that's why I ran this. There was like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't tell you so I can surprise you, but uh, there was like, I ran an alt wincon deck where like there was this card in, I guess it was one of these, like, Ravinica Legion, like, whatever this block was, which is, like, if you place enough, it would have been a Ravinica deck, it's like a Simic guild card, it's like, if you place enough plus one plus one counters, you place counters then also on this card, this enchantment, and if it gets enough tokens on it, then you win. Um, so, that, that... Interesting. Yeah, my, my, one of my dream commander decks has always been, um, Eryxmethes, the Slumbering Isle, which is, uh, which is a very dumb commander. He, um, he like casts four. He, he he it's four to cast him, and he's a twelve twelve, and he enters with a bunch of slumber counters. But every time you cast a, a spell, you pull a slumber counter off. But as long as he has a slumber counter, he's a land. He's not a he's not a creature. They like taps for for green blue. But what people do with Eryxmethes is use him as ramp basically as a four mana two like two ramp land to then um, uh, do essentially like Sea Serpent, Leviathan, Tribal, where you just do like all of the really gigantic like, you know, eight, nine mana Sea Serpents that do crazy shit because nobody ever has the mana to, to, to play them. Um, I, I have long, long thought about finally running the Eryxmethes Serpent, tri you know, Sea Serpent Tribal uh, Commander deck. No, I, so I, I had a, um, Back back when I, back in college, I had a when Zendikar dropped, I had a I had a, fucking Valakit deck before that was like really like it was like when Zendikar dropped. Oh I think, yeah, that became so meta. I remember the Valakit deck becoming really meta. It became meta after I stopped playing, um, but I, <laughs> I, I have I have I have a bunch of cards from that that I think I'm gonna try and pull out right like um, Landfall Expedition and like Oracle of Moldia, which is like a card that no one no one plays. Um, Oracle of Moldiah might actually be banned in Commander, but it's super oh, good. Oh, is it really? Oracle of Moldiah is like is like a fifty dollar card. Really? I remember it being like not super expensive. Uh, I'm gonna quickly look it up, see if I can find a like a like a quick price. Because I remember I remember it being a very expensive card when I was getting back. Well, into, I, I should. Yeah, uh, it's a thirty dollar card right now. Okay. I should uh, I should uh, pull them out because like I think I think when they first came out they were like a dollar. <laughs> um, because like yeah, and it is not banned in Commander. I'm actually thinking. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, though I'll, I I I hope I can find my uh, my cards then and pull it out because. Uh, yeah, we we I would we I would love to have a commander cast. We 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 need to play a bunch of commander in Jacksonville and maybe at Syrian's wedding too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so what else can we talk about? Oh, uh, nine point one. Anything you're particularly looking forward to? I'm just looking forward to the grind, to be honest. I I don't even want to call it the grind. I just want to call it, you know, getting getting gear. I don't know. Um. The, the big thing I feel like is that I've sort of like exhausted the like the content in 9.0 um, and so even though like I still love mythics and you know and I always am happy to like log on and do a bunch of mythics and like push you know push pushing mythics kind of ever higher is sort of I think the thing that is that is gonna keep me until this system changes dramat dramatically or like I lose my mythics team or something like that right like man. Man, things are just so fucking fun. Um, but the... Um, but just all, like, the new content, I feel like, is gonna be is gonna be sweet light. Like, there's gonna be new dailies or whatever in Corthia. Like, people really hated the Maw and, like, doing Stygia, but I always had a good time doing it just as, like, a... Like a... I don't know. I want to say, it, like, as a way to keep my fingers busy, but the truth is that I think... There's a little magic to the Maw where it was truly dangerous, um, especially if you were trying to do stuff like the group quests solo, which I just found incredibly fun. You know, like going into Perdition Hold and having to do like the Perdition Hold weekly, but you don't have anybody else on, and so it's like you are alone against those elites, and you really kind of have to pump or else they can kill you. Like, there's just something about that that I, that I that I really kind of connected with, and I and I ended up farming the Maw. So I'm hoping. That Corthia will be pretty similar. The new, you know, the new area in the uh, in the game. Obviously, there's going to be a new Mythic Plus season, which I'm going to go hard for, uh, as expected, with a ton of changes. Some of which I think are um, are very good, but I do worry that it is being over nerfed. Um, a lot of changes have hit the, the PTR recently that I'm just a little like, whoa. I mean, it's going to be like way easier to do a lot of these engines because of these because of these changes. And then I guess Torghast stuff is changing. Um, to be more like horrific visions were in BFA, which I famously also really loved. So that's good. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm probably not going to touch my my the Burning Crusade classic character for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I you know like the I the thing about the Burning Crusade and like classic in general is it reminds me of like the Mr. Burns meme, where like you know it's like like all of the all of the diseases trying to kill him but they're all getting stuck in the door that's kind of how i feel about classic with design decisions all of the design decisions are like individually bad but they kind of collectively make a really compelling experience and i don't know quite know how to how to quantify that and i wonder how long it will last like will will this last into into cataclysm mists right like I have a feeling the shine has to come off the apple at some point, right? Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. For for number one myself, I'm just kind of like, it'll be nice to, to have like something new to do, I guess, in the game. Um, reason to come back. Yeah, I mean, I'm very ready to get out of Castle, Castle Nathria. I mean, yeah. we, did our, we did our Castle Nathria cast, but like, man, spending seven months in that place is tough. Which is, which is a little rough because, like, I feel bad in a way. Um, yeah, so, so I, kind of in this vein, how, how do you feel about us not being able to down 
Sergeant Athery is the second time. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yikes. Uh, you know, I have very complex thoughts about that, you know, which is which is kind of, uh, I don't know. I, it, it is, that is a complicated, that's a complicated thing. Um, I wonder what, we, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about what it might look like. Like, the, the thought right now is that for um, the duration of normal, we'll do one night a week. But then when we start pushing into heroic again, we might pick up the second raid night if people want to do the second raid night again. Um, because I think that was when I was having the most fun in Castle Nathria was when we were really progressing through absolutely everything, you know. And, uh, and we had two, and we had, like, the, the double raid nights uh, a week. Yeah, no, I, I think we'd be able to get Denathrius down if we were doing Tuesday, again, if we were doing Tuesday, Thursday, right? Like, we, we, we so very clearly lost progress that we had to remake whenever we, we, we swapped weeks, which, you know, just Yeah, the, that is 100% true. Absolutely true, I think. Um, just as, like, a like a muscle memory thing. Um, I also think that th this version of the game is a lot less uh, forgiving than other versions of the game when it has come to this stuff. So, for instance, if we were in Legion or... Uh, BFA, we would be constantly gaining artifact power during this time, right? So we would be continuing to increase the level of our artifacts, make stuff better, make stuff more, you know, more powerful or whatever. Whereas in Shadowlands, you just you max out your renown tree. Sorry, bud, that's it. You want you want more DPS? Get better gear. That's like that's it. Which I think is compelling in a certain sense, right? Um, as a challenge, uh, but you know, there's less of sort of like a like a handicap in a way that like as you progress through the season, you get more and more powerful that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, 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 at some level, I think that's probably a good thing too, right? Like, like if I had thought that in order to be competitive, I needed to grind out like you know like thirteen thousand artifact power or whatever every week, I probably would have been out of the game already, right? Like the fact that I yeah. can just like cruise for a while has been has been good for me personally right like yeah people people complain about the time gating uh in wow but i think that they don't quite realize that that's the purpose of the time gating right you time gate whatever it is stygia torghast you know all of these all these different things to prevent people from just like no lifing this stuff because they feel like they have to and just like burning themselves out insanely hard um i also i don't know if there's going to be new anima rewards but i really hope there are because uh I, so I bought my Renown Anima, you know, gear, uh, like the um, the armor set that you get that's cosmetic, and I sort of feel, I've just sort of been sitting on like 30,000 Anima, and I'm just like, what do I, what, what do I do with all this? <laughs> Have you gotten all like the alt colors? Uh, not of like weapons, only of uh, yeah, no. the, the armor set, but yeah. I was gonna say that's a bit like the, the the weapons are like 35k a piece, and I still haven't gotten those. Or yeah. yeah, the nice thing about being a warrior is that I can pick up any weapon except for a wand, so I can get all of those appearances for the Necrolords on Baron, and I probably will end up doing that stuff. But for right now, it's just like I don't I I'm just sitting on it because maybe there is stuff to buy with Anima in 9.1. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> who's to say, right? So. Yeah, that also feels like the type of thing where, like, come the end of the expansion, you'll be able to get it all within, like, three weeks, right? Like, you'll be like, ah, oh, so you get, like, 30,000 anima per daily quest, right? So, like, you know, which... Yeah, you know. I think that's the reason that underwrites a lot of why these grinds exist the way that they do, is because they need to stretch it over the course of two years. Like, so, for instance, famously in Battle for Azeroth, um, 
there were mounts that you could get out of the island expeditions, right? They're like mounts and toys and items and stuff like that that you would get. You would do your island expedition, you'd kill a bunch of guys, you would, at the end of it, maybe get a piece of, like, these pieces of transmog gear or whatever else. Um, at the end of the expansion, they added a grindable resource, like these doubloons that you could spend on chests that included, like, those mounts and stuff like that, right? So if you wanted to get the mounts, you could just spend doubloons on them or whatever. And people were like, oh my god, I can't believe this wasn't in here from the beginning. But I'm just like, dude, if this was in here from the beginning, everybody would have been done with islands in, like, six weeks. Like, <laughs> you know, like, that's the, that's the, that's the reason that I feel like they're, they always start low and then increase kind of like... Like, the Animal World Quests are kind of like this. I kind of wouldn't be surprised if there was somebody at Blizzard who was like, all right, we're going to start the Animal re re Rewards, like, really slowly. And then we're going to add a little bit more, then we're going to add a little bit more, then we're going to add a little bit more. Because, like, if you're giving everybody the anima that we earn now out of, you know, from day one, everyone would be completely done, yeah. you know, like, with their, with their stuff. Yeah, I think everything was like a touch too restrictive at the beginning, but yeah, I, I generally. Agree. I actually do think I agree with you. Um, yeah. I think that, like, I I think this feels good now where we're yeah. where we're at now, and the mostly I just want more stuff to buy. You know, like I think Anima is probably the best. You know, like a max level grindable resource whose only use is like cosmetics and shit. That sounds pretty sweet to me, to be honest. Well, um, I mean, th that's the other thing too is it's not like you know. For a while, it's also like your improvements, right? Like you, you have to invest. So I think I think that's kind of like a good thing. It's like, you know, you you know, you have to eat your vegetables for a certain period of time, and maybe you could cheat that a little bit. But you're just like you know making your your bigger upgrades like less good. So um, yeah, and I also think that it like encourages people to sort of um, set these sort of like milestones for themselves in a way. Like I don't know, I didn't really hit this because by the time that that came out, I already had level three and everything. Um, but I like the idea that, like, let's say I'm a fresh player coming in, 9.1. I I start doing whatever, I'm earning anima, my bags are filling up with all this this stuff or whatever, and I now get to go, like, oh, well, if I put a thousand in each, one, two, three, four, boom, I'm earning more anima. Like, that, I feel like that progression feels good. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I agree with you. I definitely agree with you, yeah. Well, but yeah, I guess that's about it. Yeah, know? do you have anything else you want to talk about before we uh, before we, we get out of here? Not really. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if you'd like to tell us what you thought 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 about Invincible or uh, uh, you know nine point one or Guilty Gear Strive, I guess you can uh, email us at subdursplaygames@gmail.com or pocketsdursplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv/dursplaygames for these go live. Um, we also have everything else that you'd expect, YouTube, rate, review us on the podcast services, uh, I think, oh, and we've got a Patreon too if you feel so inclined. Um, well, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything you're looking to promote? Uh, one thing I just do want to announce for people who maybe have heard me talk about this, uh, our Metroidvania Souls-like game, Grime, uh, we just announced the release date today, it's coming out in five weeks, August 2nd. Yay, yeah, yay. there was a demo last week. I don't think that the demo is going live again, but I don't know the I don't know the details on this. Um, but uh, I I man, I love Grime. Grime is a is is a, is a fun time, and uh, if you are not paying attention to it, then highly recommended. Take a look at the Grime. You know all the all the cool Grime stuff that's that's coming. As uh, Nina Struthers says, check a look, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, with that, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.